Pain is a terrible word. Four little letters that I used to believe meant I can't or I'm broken or worse. But today on episode 124, I speak with Ryan Whited and Matt Fitzgerald, co-authors of Pain and Performance, to hear the origin story behind training as treatment and the three-step process that we can all use to get back on the path to better performance and less downtime and less hassle with pain solutions that don't work. While pain is communication, it does not mean injury or imbalance or wear and tear. And we can be more self-sufficient in managing pain if we only know how. All right, let's talk to Ryan Whited and Matt Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thank you for having us. The Ryan Whited uh, and Matt Fitzgerald, authors of the book Pain and Performance, Matt has been on the show before, but uh, Ryan, you're new, uh, but you guys have uh, co-authored this uh, new book, which is what our talk today is going to be about. And so why don't you guys give us a little, a short intro uh, about yourselves, you know, who are you? And then we'll talk a little bit about this book. I am a strength coach of around 30 years. I uh, was a sponsored athlete for around 20 years, and I am the son of a professional athlete. I uh, also, and I guess I could add author to that list now. So yes. <laughs> along with a uh, business owner, we own a small business called Paragon Athletics. That's a training facility here in Flagstaff. And we work with, you know, outdoor athletes of every sort. Uh, and we've also come kind of earned a reputation to, of helping people through rough patches, uh, meaning painful experiences. Uh, injuries that are, have just been persistent. It, it's not like we advertise that. It's just word of mouth kind of got around that we had a good uh, rate of success with it. Well, good. I, I imagine we're going to hear more about that. Perhaps that's the basis of the this book. But anyway, uh, Matt and your background uh, for the audience members who haven't heard the earlier podcast we did with you. Sure thing. So I have been a runner since I was 11 years old. I've been a uh, a writer almost as long. Got to marry my two favorite passions together. I've written a lot of books for endurance athletes. Um, I'm also a coach. Um, I own a couple of businesses, uh, perhaps the most familiar of which is 8020 Endurance, which provides uh, training and educational resources for endurance athletes and coaches. Fantastic. Okay. So before we get into some of the details here, um, tell us how you guys I guess, came together to write this book, but also where did the, the knowledge base come from in putting this together? I, I have a feeling, Ryan, that the system, the, the, the process was something that you came up with as a part of this business that you run. And, uh, and Matt was the professional writer. And together, you guys made a great team. That's pretty much the case. Yeah. I didn't mean to get as obsessed about the topic of pain as I did, it just happened. And then I realized that we were coming at this um, from such a wrong direction. And over time and practice, I say system, but it's kind of loose. It's more like cookery, like it's science for sure. But uh, it's definitely science more like cookery and less like mathematics, if that makes sense. So Matt was at a talk that I give and have been giving for quite a few years called Pain and Performance. And he was at Rob Carr's run camp. Uh, and on occasion, my talk will line up with uh, Rob's camp and those campers will attend my talk. And Matt happened to be at one of those talks. It landed right with him and we ended up circling back and uh, the message resonated and he decided we should probably write a book together about it. Fantastic. Well, I have read this book. It is a very good book. And the way you guys did it, I think, is really compelling. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to spoil the, I don't want to spoil the drama here. Um, <laughs> you, you guys, um, I, let me start by saying that as I was preparing for our, our talk today, I went back through the episodes of the podcast and the topic of pain comes up a lot. <laughs> you know, I guess maybe that's not unexpected in a podcast for older athletes, you know, but since the episodes tend to be things that I'm personally interested in, it probably means that I have had my share of, uh, you know, pain problems. And so 
So I've got a lot of questions, um, but maybe we'll, if, let me just first ask you this question because it's on the back of your book. It says, what if everything you know about pain is wrong? Ooh, that's a big question. And you actually have it in all bold. So uh, why do you ask that question? Well, I think there's it's built into our culture to assume that pain is um, directly correlated to damage. And we, we know now, and we have known for several years, that that is just not how pain works. That It's multifactorial, and it's never in isolation. So any pain experience is never in isolation, ever. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, it, in fact, where, where I have sort of gotten to after reading your book um, and thinking about it a bit, that you can't just talk about pain as a thing. Pain is, is a whole body and brain thing. Um, and so I think that's what you're saying. Am I right? Mm -hmm. It is. Now they're using terminology like pain system because um, it's like an axis, sort of, so to speak, because we know that there's so much, so many overlapping systems that are yeah. playing a role in your, your pain experience. Um, exactly. Sort of like say, talking about what causes inflammation. Well, a lot of things right. cause inflammation. <laughs> right. um, okay. Well, worry. so worry can cause inflammation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe the, maybe, you know, what doesn't cause inflammation? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, obviously the people who are the, 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 the most obvious targets of, a message about every, you know everything you know about pain is wrong are people who are having problems right you know they've they've tried everything they can think of and and they just are not getting any satisfaction from it and so mainstream medical practices uh physical therapy but maybe they've tried chiropractic or you know acupuncture you know they've they've tried more things and they still have problems and so these are people who are looking for, you know, something else uh, to try. But it, but it seems to me that the more important thing is just this idea that anybody who ever experiences pain. Okay, so that's everybody. If we, the better we understand what that is, the the fewer myths we carry around in our heads, the better off we're going to be. You know, the the less fear we have to walk around with, the less suffering you know we have to endure. Who would you say uh, you wrote the book for? Years ago, I started working with so many athletes that would get stuck in treatment programs and just would get in a loop of uh, care. And they believed that, you know, they were dysfunctional. They believed you know, they were asymmetries that were causing their pain. They had all these beliefs that propagated a sense of fragility and dependence on treatment. So... Initially, those are the folks that, and I was one of those people, by the way, uh, that those are the folks I was hoping to reach um, with a new context of pain. And then it ended up just spreading to anybody that uh, is trying to be an active, healthy human and keeps running into a, ro a roadblock you know, with pain. So it ended up being everybody, really. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, that that's just it. The older I get, the more that makes perfectly good sense to me. I am a very healthy person, but I have pain essentially all mm -hmm. the time. Now, it's not I'm lucky in that it's not so bad that it really stops me from doing anything, uh, except mm -hmm. sometimes from sleeping, <laughs> which is a nuisance. But um you know, some people have it bad, right? You know, they can't do their thing, they can't be themselves. So, yeah, I think that, that that bigger story is the right story. Okay, but before we get into, you know, what is this and, and what can people do, but I, I definitely want to get there. Why don't we start with, how do you guys think about what pain is? Well, I could give you a definition from, okay. uh, from the International Association of Study of Pain. Their current definition so it was given a new definition about 
I think it was probably about six years ago, they reworked it in, in my little world uh, of pain scientists that I've been allowed to be a part of for some reason. Yeah. It was a big topic of conversation, how the wording should go. and But what ended up sticking was an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. Actual or potential. Huh. Okay. Well, because, I mean, obviously, what you had already mentioned it earlier, I, you know, as I grew up, pain was the thing that happened when I put my hand on a hot stove. And the pain alerted me that something was wrong and I should move my hand off of the hot stove. Um, mm -hmm. But I've come to understand that it is a lot more complicated than that. Sometimes there's pain that's not related to a hot stove or even to any real problem in my body. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. just a, maybe it's a threat of a problem that might happen or maybe happened before uh, and that sort of thing. Um, can you elaborate on, you know, what, what are the various aspects of pain that the people that you've helped uh, experience? Yeah, there are, there are many moving parts. So if your if your foot, if you had to move a stove, a hot stove, to get your foot out from the car, then you might uh, be willing to put your hand on that burning <laughs> on that burner. So for a moment, so it's yeah, I guess you you kind of prioritize things, you know, with your nervous system and uh, value uh, at the time. But yes, there's plenty of there's past inner experiences that play a role. So it builds in expectation um, into, you know, an, a, a, an activity. Um, and actually even your, like if you were raised in a household where one of your parents um, suffered back pain, then that starts building out a story for you. And it, it you are more likely to have uh, significant back pain, but not because of the biomechanics involved that you inherited from your parents, but from the psychosocial things that you adopted. Mm. So th there, there are many things to bring to the table with pain experience. All right. So it's obviously pain can be related to damage in the body, but is not necessarily. And th it even could be that there is damage but no pain uh, as right. your body prioritizes something else over that pain. The danger of, well, there are many dangers when, when you think of pain just being musculoskeletal. That causal line of thinking where it's just a linear line of this equals that yeah. can lead you down such a bad path of goose chasing uh, some more than likely irrelevant thing and you know you're you're you end up playing whack-a-mole with something that's already impeding your life and uh so when when you just think of pain as uh with that limited lens of musculoskeletal very very limited lens of musculoskeletal then it is going to set you up for some problems it's it's more damaging than it is helpful most often Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, let's come back to that. I, this whole, um, I think what is called uh, structuralism or something like that. That's one where pa um, pathoanatomy. So, uh, but before we jump there, I wanted to read my own quote here. Lisa Feldman Barrett says, an emotion is your brain's creation of what your bodily sensations mean in relation to what is going on around you. In other words, in every waking moment, your brain uses past experiences organized as concepts to guide your action and to give your sensations meaning. I'd read that in one of her books, and, uh, and, and that, that kind book. of ah okay, and it had kind of rung a bell with this pain thing, where pain started to feel kind of like an emotion. You know, it had that sort of shape to it, but certainly mm -hmm. pain is one of these things that the brain uses as it communicates and tries to influence what the body does and so mm -hmm. there's a lot of moving parts and so it, but if pain is like an emotion then maybe i have to deal with my pain like i have to deal with my emotions covering it up ignoring it that can work 
for a while, you know, like I could, if I'm anxious about giving a speech, well, you know, I could have two beers and I feel less anxious. Um, that's probably not a great way to solve that problem. And it might have other problems come from that eventually. I mean, maybe the better thing to do would be to find out why am I anxious? And is it right for me to be afraid about this? And, mm-hmm. you know, and try to get that emotion to, um, you know, change into something else, more like excitement and, you know, fun anticipation and, and things like that. And maybe, maybe, uh, you know, dealing with the pain rather than covering it up with a painkiller or something, you know, or, or just playing through it. Maybe there's some parallel there. Does, does that make sense? Absolutely. Reframing that experience, which is part of what uh, our goal was, is bring a totally different context to that experience is very helpful. A personal anecdote is uh, I took a fail grade on every oral exam that I was asked to give as a kid because of the anxiety that I would have. Uh-huh. And, and I now what actually keeps me up the night before a talk is that I get excited about sharing good news. <laughs> and it's really interesting how this happened over time because it, it, it's no longer, I mean, there's, there's some natural anxiety there, but not an inordinate amount that there was that I had at one time. What she was referring to in the book, Lisa Barrett, is um, something called predictive processing. Uh, It's a cognitive model that is being used. Um, And the idea is that you are predicting from past experiences, you're anticipating what will happen. And so I have so many analogies that I use to help people understand and help and reframe. One of them is a barking dog. So when you said, you know, if you take... uh, that if you take you know an NSAID or if if you just choose to ignore your pain, um, it's a little bit like a barking dog at a window. You know, you we've all had either you've had that barking dog or you've had a friend that's had that barking dog yeah. that just won't start barking, even if there's no real threat, it will bark. So you can either close the door, but that dog's going to continue barking, or you can start working with that dog. And right. tr- helping it um, figure out what's an actual threat and what is not an actual threat, right? Which that's takes a, time. That's a good a example. Excellent. Yeah, I I have uh, two dogs. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, okay, good. So let's talk a little bit about the problem with you know the solutions that everybody's trying and sometimes they work, you know, <laughs> and sometimes they don't work and, you know, and they, they get into this loop that uh, you were talking about. And I'm not sure whether I, where I got this from, maybe I stole it from you, but um, this idea that people, I mean, people love to think in analogies. Yeah. We were just talking about the bark and dog analogy. And so as people try to understand where does the pain come from, they try to think of the body as like a machine, Right. You know, and if the machine gets out of balance or the machine is not being lubricated or, you know, anyway, so we, we try to make analogies that of things that we understand. And then we think we understand what's happening with the body. And it turns out, well, that's not true because the body is way more complicated than some engine that, uh, a human being built. The body has evolved over millions of years, you know, only more recently turned into the shape of a human being. And it evolved in an environment of scarcity. So it, it has become very efficient at managing its resources and responding to threats. And, and so, you know, I mean, everybody's had the experience of wondering why, you know, why is it I, why can't I stop myself from eating those cookies? Uh, okay, well, you know, here we go. We're talking about very complicated, integrated systems, and you're not really in control of all of it. Anyway, maybe you can speak to the the problems. You you you, you talked about it a little bit already, uh, where they they start doing whack a mole, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And you know, and you know, the person trained in that silo that you know they that's sort of their bag of tricks. So I don't really know what to do now. Maybe over time they 
they get trained in other modalities and now they've got a big bag of tricks and they, you know, they go from this to that to the other thing. But ultimately, each one of them is based on a set of assumptions and and an analogy that's overly simplistic of how the body works. That's wrong. Uh, it that mm-hmm. you know, heck, a broken clock is right twice a day, and so you know, <laughs> eventually that you know they hit somebody, you know, that, who then right. that thing worked for some reason, um, right. and and may and more confident they are, probably the better, you know, for giving the patient some confidence. But still, they were they were really being too simplistic, and um, so I don't know if you want to talk about that or if you just want to leap past that into the. What's a better way? The bag of tricks that I bring to the table uh, is negative knowledge. I don't know if you've ever heard this term. No. So negative knowledge is basically I know enough about all of these topics that I know that 98% of them should just be removed. And my negative knowledge brings a great deal of value to the table. The other part of the process is what you bring to the table. All those millions of years of developing and changing, that is the magic that's brought to the table in quotations. So the body knows what to do and you just need to let the body do its thing? You're pretty much, I. that's why I think it sometimes is a mistake to distinguish between treatment and training. I just think your training sometimes with pain present in that experience, but you're still training. So I don't like to discern the differences and that's not, not, it's not like me being, uh, not anything personal to anybody that, you know, is a therapist or anything. It's just, I think it's not good for us to distinguish that. You don't, you don't need to become a patient when you're having an experience that is common to everyone. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, so, well, it's, um, I mean, in the, we've only got a little bit of time together. So yes. And, um, (laughs) but I do think that we're going to want to get to how should people think about it? And presumably some of what people can do, they can do on their own and they don't have to get help from somebody who's treated 500 people successfully. They, you know, they they have the right Mm -hmm. mindset and they can have confidence in what they know and they, and they can get through some of, some of these things on their own. And so one of the things that people would like to take away from listening to the podcast is, well, what can I try? You know, how, you know, how can I try this for myself? And hopefully we can um, share some of that with them. But the, we've already said that if you have pain in your body, that doesn't mean that you have damage in your body. Everybody's heard of the, the you know, they do MRIs of people of different ages and they look at their knees or their shoulders and there's very little correlation between people who've got changes in their structures and people who have pain. Mm-hmm. Yes, your structures change over time and it maybe looks like damage, but it's just changes. It's just changes. And people who have the same changes as you have no pain. So the fact that you've got that in your MRI, that's not the reason you have pain. I mean, maybe it is. I mean, heck, if I know, but it, not necessarily. It's not causal. It's not causal. That's the line that we have to change. Right. So, so we don't want to go back and like change that structure to be more like it was when you were 15 because having that same exact structure, lots of people don't have any pain. Right. I, so one of my favorite um, pieces of research to cite during this is a, some, they looked at asymptomatic volleyball players, female volleyball players, and the set was around 100. And average age of 18, 62% of them had what appeared to be uh, disc degeneration at average age of 18. 18. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. that, we just have to completely change our line of thinking for what pain, what causes pain so we it's a post hoc fallacy i don't know if familiar if you're familiar with that term no but it's a logical fallacy so that we assumed this therefore that we assumed you know this equals that and there it is just not that simple well it fits into the analogy that if the machine is out of balance then it's not going to work well 
So, mm-hmm. you know, it just fed what I was assuming was true in the first place. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we just drove across I-40 from Arkansas for Christmas visiting my folks. And I looked at all those trees on I-40 and how they were bent from the wind. And I thought all those trees have just naturally changed with their environment, what's been asked of them. But I didn't look over at that tree and go, that thing is messed up. <laughs> look at it. We got to straighten that tree. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be symmetrical and it needs to be straight. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. That's a really good point. Yeah. So let's get into, you know, what's new here. You talked about negative knowledge. Um, I think you uh-huh. called it negative knowledge. And, uh, you know, essentially, I think what you mean is discard all of that. Don't don't try to understand what what's wrong with it. Just don't talk about that. Let's let's talk about it's, what does help. Mm-hmm. What does help? Exactly. And using those low value um, systems or modalities of care can just lead you through such a frustrating path. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, when I say low value modalities, it's those things that we typically go to. Um, and like I said, I'm not, you know, against most of those modalities. They're, they have a function. They, they have a place to be used. But what I tell people is use massage and things of that sort like a condiment. Don't use it like it's something you can live on because you're just going to end up hungry all the time. Hmm. All right. Well, so training as a treatment, I think you call it. Tell us Mm -hmm. what that is. Essentially, it's what I was just talking about where I feel like you can be training in the middle of a pretty profound pain experience and still just call it training. Uh, I, I, Two years ago, I had the worst climbing injury I've ever had. I had a high ankle sprain. Um, thankfully, you know, I've been a boulder for nearly 30 years, which um, being 50 years old and hucking myself up 20-foot rocks, it's, uh, I'm thankful that that's the most significant injury I've had. Yeah, I can beat that. Um, <laughs> but... It was a long road. I don't know if you're familiar with the high ankle sprain, but it's a very complex um, injury. And I have a friend that's uh, a foot and ankle ortho who, oddly enough, had the same injury uh, really close to when I did. He had surgery, and I opted to not have surgery. There is no wrong and right in that scenario. It's personal. And But it was such an emotional roller coaster. I... Uh, fell and it was during a, my warm up, but a fleck of chalk went in my eye. So it caused me to blink when I jumped down. Um, so I hit the edge of our crash pad. I knew immediately I got sick and I went, Oh, I'm really hurt. This is different than most pain, pain experiences because this was, you know, an acute uh, injury. But I basically started, re- started retraining my ankle the next day. So it never, and yes, there were definitely ups and downs. We were supposed to go on a climbing trip. A week later, we did. We went. I knew driving over there that I was not going to be climbing. I ended up climbing, but uh, that's because I'm stubborn. Hmm. Uh, but, but also, everybody went out one day, and I, I, my ankle did not feel like it was quite up to it just yet. And so I thought, I'm just going to hang back at camp. And... Um, so that's what I did. I, ha- I hung back and I thought, I'm just going to go for a walk. I got 40 yards from our van and hit an offset in the pavement. We were at Joshua Tree, hit an offset in the pavement that was, you know, the height of a nickel. Went to the ground, fell beside a trash can, and just laid there for a while and thought, this is not a fun experience. Being at a climbing area with my friends and struggling yeah but that was i just kind of kept training i never really stopped training and yes it was an emotional roller coaster (laughs) as we all have been on those roller coasters you know uh and it went on for about two years so but thankfully uh i'm on the other side of it now but it was quite a process and and i 
uh, I actually did climb on that trip. Um, I felt up to doing a couple little things. Uh, and then I, within, within about a month, I was back climbing. I, we went on a big climbing trip to France. It's an annual trip we go on. So I was concerned, but uh, I bouldered the entire time and was okay. Uh, but it was always in the back of my head, you know. But I stayed training, actively progressing my ankle specifically during that entire time. Mm. You know, I never let off. Well, okay. So uh, training is treatment. All right. I'm hearing that. I'm not sure I quite get the details. I mean, is it kind of a, anyway, so don't stop. Keep moving. Probably, you know, we're talking about millions of years of evolution. The body evolved to expect that you're going to be exercising all the time and moving all the, not exercising, but moving all the time Mm -hmm. because otherwise you're food for some something further up on the food chain. And so um, when you're not moving, that's somehow not what the body is expecting and you're interfering with its natural ability to heal itself. So, okay, so don't Mm -hmm. stop. But there must be some sort of like load management kind of a thing. You know, if I'm trained, you know, if you said uh, like physical therapy versus training is really just all one thing. Maybe it's like on a continuum where I sort of have a level that I'm at and I'm training to get better than that. And if I'm injured, my, what I'm training is to be better than the injured person, but I can't pretend to be the non-injured person, you know, uh, or can I? I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Some of that. So with, with my ankle as an example, that was acute. So it's different you kind of have to define what injury is. So yeah. well, go ahead. Tell us about like is, acute versus chronic. Yeah. So if you just have pain, that doesn't mean that you necessarily are injured. And that's the thing that we, we kind of just keep defaulting back to because it's how we've been, you know, taught to think about pain. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're injured and you can just sort of, get a uh build a relationship so to speak with your pain so that you know if there's actually something worth barking at outside of the house or if uh it's just barking and there's nothing to worry about so it takes a long time to develop that relationship with your pain and it's going to be trial and error i hate to say through these interviews I've had people say, is that not frustrating to people? And I'm like, well, I, don't, I mean, I think it's just part of the process. So I, we can, there's, we can give you a compass, but there is no map. Yeah. So this is not like taking an antibiotic and then the bug is killed and then you're better in two weeks. This is harder than that. It is. Yeah. It, it, that's just the, the nature of it. So um, the nature of the process and, it doesn't have to be frustrating. What I, what I, I think, I, what I tell people is this is, you know, we get, we have a fix it mentality about our health. And when we fix our pain, it's gone in our minds. That is not how it works. And we, if you build a relationship with your pain, if you build a relationship with your health, then you know that you're tending to things. You're not um, fixing things. So if you look for, an end to this process, you're going to be frustrated all the time. There is no end. It, it, it is, it is a, an ongoing process. And knowing that is very helpful. Knowing that, you know, uh, I, I give, we give a garden analogy in the book, knowing that, you know, if you are tending to areas of the garden, at some times of the year and other times of the year you're doing other things, but there's going to be a day when it hails and all your tomatoes get ruined, uh, <laughs> but you grow tomatoes. And so, uh, yes, it's a hard day. And uh, I don't mean to demean like, um, or dismiss pain experiences because I know how profound they can be and they can be life altering. So, but just knowing that it is part of the process, um, is helpful. Very helpful. I, I was thinking about this interview, our talk before we got on and I, you know, you cultivate a mindset 
And I think some of my upbringing really helped with that because we were on a constant comeback in my household. And it was just cultivated into it's how I came to think. And I didn't even realize that was part of it. So Matt actually interviewed me before we started writing this book for the comeback quotient. Isn't that right, Matt? Yep. Yeah. And uh, I think he started out with, can you think of any stories about a comeback? And I was like, man, I was born into the comeback story. Like it was literally our week to week because you were either dealing with an injured horse. uh, My dad was injured or somebody was managing something all the time. And so uh, it was just, I just knew that that's part of our daily activity. It's how you interact with living. That's interesting. I I have to say that uh, in all of the, not just the episodes on the podcast where I've talked about pain, but you know, my life as I've thought about pain and my own pain, it has never occurred to me. Uh, I've never heard anybody say that because when I was 10 years old, I had no pain in my body. I didn't, I didn't have to, you know, deal with pain. I didn't, you know, I just didn't have any pain. And for me at 61 years old to think I want to get back to how I felt as a 10 year old kid with a fresh, freshly minted body. Mm-hmm. That's just stupid. That's just not how it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no part of me that I can get back to that 10 year old kid. So why should pain be any different? And so this uh, gardening, this uh, managing of myself for, you know, my state of mind, Right. Mm-hmm. I do that right. for my recovery from my exercise, uh, managing my diet, you know, managing the number of calories I'm eating versus burning. I mean, there's a m- bunch of things I'm managing. And mm-hmm. you're saying pain is just like that. You know, you've got to, you're recovering, things go bad and you help your body to make it better. And you don't get frustrated by it. I mean, you, it's okay, I guess. You know, you can be mm-hmm. disappointed. I'm going to miss out on some fun. My, you know, I'm going, mm-hmm. I got a vacation planned and now I, I can't do as much of the fun as I was going to. That's disappointing. But, you know, it's just bad timing. It's not like the end of the world. So that, mm-hmm. that I think is very powerful. Mm-hmm. I would ask if somebody told me that they weren't going to be, if they were going to go on a trip and because their pain was um, high at the time if they weren't going to go play with their grandkids or with their you know, partner, wife, husband, I would ask, why wouldn't you go play? Why wouldn't you go do that thing? If you were having a pain experience, I would say, I would advise that person to go and get involved. So avoiding activities um, can reinforce pain experiences. So it would be very important, actually, to participate if you had a trip planned. And like I said, you know, back pain is the the one that almost everybody lives with. And knowing full well that you're not damaging anything, but it hurts, you you bring more focus to the pain and less focus to your meaningful activities, those things that bring you happiness. And those things will actually help diminish your pain experience. So you don't want to start um, culling those things that are valuable to your life around your pain. Mm. In fact, I think a lot of times, one of the examples, I, uh, another example that I give is uh, if, if you had a floater in your eye and you went to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist and they said, I want you to focus on that and don't lose sight of it, then that is absolutely a recipe for insanity. And if we do that with pain, like if you go to see somebody and your entire conversation revolves around just pain and living around it, it it is going to likely not be good for you. So, you know, we all know that we, those floaters, they, we have them, but your nervous system eliminates them from your field of vision. So it's important, you know, you can't be 
completely disrespectful of your pain experience, but it's important for you to do the things that bring joy to your life. And that will likely help that pain experience just fall to the background. Yeah. It seems to me that, you know, as an athlete, I have always been terrified of wrecking myself. And then I'm not myself anymore, right? And now I can't ever do that fun thing again. Um, whether it was a back problem from lifting something too heavy or uh, blowing out a knee and now I'm never going to be right. Um, so mm-hmm. I was always really terrified, maybe is too big of a word, but it was always in the back of my mind. Um, mm-hmm. So how do I know that I'm not hurting myself? How do I know that even though maybe you're saying mostly, but sometimes it is a bad thing, right? It's acute, right? I, I just I jumped out of a car going down the highway and I'm hurting. Okay, well, I probably did something bad. Uh, or, or are you yeah. saying no? Well, if you jumped out of a car, that, I mean, that's the, that's, there was something else going on. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah but, but I hurt now and, I, and I'm just not sure I should just ignore that. Yeah, if you lifted something... You know, uh, which is rarely the case, to, to, to be honest. It, usually people, it's like, you know, grabbing a jar of peanut butter and they're like, oh, dear God. Um, oh, yeah, I've it's done not, that It's not, um, you know, lifting their max on deadlift, which is what everybody or many people think. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's when I'm going to hurt myself. It's rarely the case when you hurt yourself. When I, I say hurt, again, we have to distinguish injury from pain. Yeah. Um, those are different things. So, but if you had an acute something happen, you know, from then, and if you had uh, an, like a neurological deficit, so to speak, like if you had nothing, uh, numbness, uh, something like that, or wasting over time, that's different, but still that tissue heals with use. It literally heals with use. So it has to get uh, reintroduced to load. It has to get reintroduced to demands. So it's a matter of, you know, generally start working even with acute. Like my ankle, the next day, I this is me. I would not ask anybody else to do this. But the next day, I was like, well, let's see what kind of hopping I can do. And Hopping on I, the injured ankle. I would not ask anybody else to do that. <laughs> but yes, that is what I did. Because I would have um, been hopping on the good ankle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is exactly what I did. I just reintroduced work to it and was like, what will this ankle tolerate right now? Um, okay. And weirdly enough, I didn't have tons of pain with my ankle. Every once in a while I would. It was really weird. It was part of the roller coaster. Uh-huh. But it was so injured my my stability in that ankle um was so bad that i'm I'm an okay athlete and people saw me fall down standing talking to somebody um it was so unstable so but weirdly enough it didn't hurt that bad so yeah um but even with those injuries reintroducing uh reintroducing load work that's how we recover psychologically you know yeah. Uh, it's going right back toward the thing. Yeah. So, I mean, if the bone is sticking out of your leg, that, you know. That's different. That probably is different, yeah. <laughs> that's different. But with just a pain experience, you know, with uh, 99% of back pain is um, not of medical concern. That is, uh, that is actually a real statistic. Um, less than 1% is of a medical concern. I can't remember the exact number, but it's less than 1% of a medical concern. So that doesn't mean that your back doesn't hurt. It obviously hurts, but you can go toward your activities and not worry about actually damaging anything. Okay. Well, yeah, 1% is, is a good bet. That works. All right. <laughs> All right. So um, again, in your book, you talk about a three-step process. You want to mm-hmm. uh, tell us about this? And maybe mm-hmm. when you talk about this process, you can speak of it in terms of, you know, it's it's kind of a way of, of maybe it's really, maybe you came up with a three-step process because you were writing a book. Uh, and really what it is, is a way of thinking about this and uh, and, a, and a way to build confidence and, and things like that. But, you know, for a, for a person who maybe would want to give it a try, what would they do? Right. 
I've tried, I've tried to get better at explaining this and using principles um, instead of, you know, three-step process. You, sh- you, you can think of a, of a st- three-step process um, in, in a corkscrew trending toward the positive. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> if somebody comes to see me, uh, I'll break down sort of a session. If somebody came to see me and they had uh, knee pain, um, if they were a cyclist, and then I would say, and it, and it actually, you know, is irritated during cycling. Uh, incidentally, they probably have an event coming up. You know, they're probably going to do Leadville because that's usually when these things happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. um, so they've probably built all of this expectation into this event. And, and now all of a sudden their sleep is getting messed up. Uh, they have this knee pain. They think that it's their new cleats that they just started wearing. So we're going to start basically – I will and it's listen. bone on bone, right? And they're nice. And it's probably bone on bone. And they're yeah, they're not gonna be able to ride a bike anymore. Their doctor actually told them to find a different sport. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh because they're too old. They're doing uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. This sounds like a legit scenario. <laughs> so I would sit with that person. Listen to that breakdown, and then we would come up with uh, we would basically put out some of those alarms that have been set off uh, and try to bring some better context to you know their their knee that hurts. And then we would build out a program that included riding because they are a cyclist, unless it was just so hot and bothered that it wouldn't even tolerate sitting on a bicycle or the sight of a bicycle. So if the bicycle rolled in the room and their knee was like, oh my God, I can't do it. <laughs> um, then at that point, um, we would, we would um, you know, what we would do is we would have them like imagine a bicycle. <laughs> so <laughs> graded motor imagery is a real thing. So, uh, which, which I have actually used with some folks. So we, we start building out this little process and this is the more complicated version of what you asked about, but, uh, we would get some exercises together that we collaboratively get together, um, that where they feel like they have sense of agency about helping their knee feel better. It's not necessarily that the tissue has to change in order for that pain to change, but we know that exercise helps most people. Um, we don't understand exactly why it helps because uh, it doesn't always require the tissue to change. But that person and I would start building a little set of exercises together and a training program together, um, meaning we would tinker with their training a bit and then touch base, you know, ever so often. Some people are in such a bad place a rough place that I want to hear back from them sooner than later. But as soon as I can make it so that they feel like they're good to go on their own, the better. It's not a good business plan, but it is a fantastic care plan. So helping them feel like they have good locus of control over the situation is my ultimate goal. At the back of the book, there's a QR code. I don't know if you saw that, but and we go through foot, ankle, knee, hip, back, and it is progressed exercises. Uh, and there is an intro video also that gives some guidelines, uh, but it's progressed exercises where like entry level exercises that feel very safe for something that feels really bugged. And you can just start there with those really simple exercises uh, and then just keep working up and you can mix and match those exercises to whatever recipe sort of suits you and these this works for both acute injuries and uh, chronic pain yeah with you know so if you actually had a bone injury then your that bone needs to heal so that's different for sure so once your bone heals though then start doing whatever it will tolerate or if you have you know if you have a, a full ruptured Achilles, then there's a protocol for that thing to heal. And you sort of have to follow that protocol. So if you're post-op or if you've had a significant bone injury, that's a little different, but those are the rare cases. So, but still it's a matter of like that, that part starting 
to tolerate load use demands um, as soon as it's through its um, healing phase. So even if I've got discoloration and bruising, you know, meaning that there was some blood that um, was released from capillaries, you know, as long as, you know, I, I don't have a broken bone or a completely severed tendon, something like that. Yes. So a hamstring is the one that everybody goes to. I don't know if that's what you were thinking about. No. But if you, okay. If you have bruising uh, or deformation um, with, you know, a hamstring injury, it's still reintroducing load. Obviously, if you've had, you, you actually have injured some tissue. So it's different because pain and injury aren't the same. So they're two different things. But yeah, it's still reintroducing load. So, you know, uh, uh, we were, I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago and I, I tried to make it clear you, you can diagnose medical condition through objective measurements. So if you have a medical condition that has a protocol for its healing, that is different than diagnosing pain. They are not the same thing. So you can treat a, a medical condition that has a protocol, but you're not treating pain. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, you're following some proven methodology for healing some damage, but right. that maybe that doesn't have pain, or maybe that doesn't solve the pain because you're going to deal with the pain separately. Yeah, very often Achilles ruptures do not hurt. Yeah, a full thickness rupture. What people usually report is somebody. I thought somebody kicked me. Yeah. Uh, My dad said it, that he thought somebody for... shot him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I think he, yeah. in his head, he heard a noise, right? Yeah, but it probably was uh, pain-free. Yeah. And that's very often the case. So, yeah, and then you go to take a step and something feels wonky. Right. Okay, good. Um, I have a couple of other questions, uh, but um, is, there, is there more? The QR codes for getting to the videos, that's very helpful. Uh, but is there anything else to further describe that? I guess the, the acute issues... You know, you've got to deal with that. And and if you are being treated by your doctor, you said, you know, do what the doctor says to do. But that's mm -hmm. separate from this load management thing and building yourself back up and being confident. Um, mm -hmm. You know, getting back to the whole pain is kind of like an emotion kind of a thing. And it's like you got to help your the part of your brain that you don't control to, you know, be comfortable with what's going on. And it's predicting of the future does not include disaster. Because it's going it's to try to get you to not do the disastrous thing when it thinks that's the future. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, painkillers. What do you think about yes. painkillers? NSAIDs, but anything else really. I used to live on uh, vitamin I. So um, if there's a way of dying from ibuprofen, I'm, that's how I'm going to die. I've eaten so much of it. Now, not for 10 years, but... Um, uh, what do you think about painkillers? At one time? No, I wasn't overdosing. It was just uh, over the years, I was just pounding it. Yeah. I would take it prophylactically. Uh, I would take ibuprofen before I started exercising. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people still do that. But there was a piece of research that came out last year sometime that uh, showed a link between chronic usage of NSAIDs and chronic, the development of chronic pain, yeah, persistent pain. And it was so, pretty strong. So you should not do that if you want to avoid persistent pain. Yes. We have our own endogenous system of painkillers that are on board. So learning to use those uh, is a, a, be a better way. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a place. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for an NSAID. Yeah. There's I mean, if you've had a surgery or something, I mean, shoot. You want to sleep, I guess, right? Sleeping is good. There's a time and place. I'm not, uh, I don't want this to sound like I'm a paleotherapist, you know, where I'm like, <laughs> right. You're, you're not a puritanical healer. No. Okay. All right. So let's move on to the next thing. The word that uh, comes to my mind, and I'm not sure if it's an official word, but niggles. And the uh, mm -hmm. idea is, this would be the thing that happens to me. I'm in the gym and I'm doing calf raises 
And suddenly I go, ooh, I just felt something like, did something just pull? Or was it just about to pull? And, you know, when I was 25 years old, I'd just say, well, I got three more sets to do. And I mm -hmm. do them. And, you know, and maybe I was a little extra sore, but, you know, by the, my next workout, I was fine. But as I got older, sometimes that meant, in fact, most of the time that meant nothing. But sometimes that meant the next rep, I was done for three months. Mm -mm, and so, occurrence? well, yes, uh, not today, but um, in the past, what I learned was that when I start to feel a little something, I just say, you know, it's better for me to just lose the rest of my workout than to lose the next three months, even though it's only a one in a hundred chance that mm -hmm. I, that the bad thing is going to happen. But by, I heal so much more slowly than I used to, and I would probably lose my fitness faster than I used to, that, um, I, you know, I just don't push it as much. Now, that's just a fear-based thing. I don't know whether that's legit. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think? I think we associate a lot of things to our age that are unjustly associated to our age. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that we have an 11-year-old, and he is hurt every day. <laughs> there isn't a day that goes by that he's not, like, something hurts. Is, but is um, it something different every day? Um, let me because if it was different it was. every day, then that's, that sounds like me when I was a kid. But <laughs> nowadays, it's the same thing every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, personally, as an aging athlete, we have to be careful – associating things with our age and the honey that I've consumed as an athlete through my entire life has always come with bees. And that is just how it goes. That's a good story. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the uh, follow up to that is a lot of times you don't have to stop, just change it a little bit. So if you're doing calf raises, you're on a calf machine then honestly, go to one leg, go to the leg that hurts and try to do a single one. And if, if it won't tolerate it, you know, like just there are so many ways to use our bodies that it's not just stop or start. It's not um, an either or, you know, mindset. It's a if then. And so it's, you constantly are just sort of if thinning instead of either oring. So if you have something where you go, oh, well, that it might did not like the calf machine today, then go try something else with your calves, you know, just something a little different. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. All right. And so uh, one more question, and that is this, a lot of what you have been describing, let's just say everything you've been describing, I could see myself doing that except for when the pain that I had and, I, and this is fresh in my mind. Uh, I don't, it's not a current thing, but it was in, in the last uh, year that um, my knees would hurt so badly. And there was nothing wrong with them. I knew it. Mm -hmm. But they hurt so, it was so sharp that there really was no working through it. It was so torturous that I couldn't work through it. What would you advise in that case? So did you confirm that there was nothing wrong with them through imaging? No. Nope. It was both knees at the same time, and I did nothing to cause anything to happen. So anyway, so, yeah. I, that's what's a guess, but I think it's a good guess. Yeah, I do too. If you came into the shop, then I would ask, you know, what have you done that is novel? Or was there anything novel introduced into your activities? Because a lot of times... Um, a, you could call that a spike in your training. Yeah. If you did a totally new thing where you, you know, did a bunch of cutting, like if you decided to do uh, um, ultimate Frisbee one day and you're like, mm -hmm. Oh, for some reason my knees blew up. So, um, or I would also ask, what are your allostatic stressors in this time? Were there, were there other life stressors, you know, that, you know, did you have an ailing parent? Did, you know, did, were there other things going on that you have not yet related to? Oh, my knees hurt and I forgot my mom's in hospice, you know, 
those kinds of things matter to pain experiences. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to bring that to the table with what you're going through. So, uh, but with regard to they were just completely intolerant to anything, I would say that's not true. <laughs> I would say if I saw you that day, um, I have had people come into the shop in tears uh, and say. I don't know why I didn't call you to say I couldn't come today. I don't know how I got out of bed. And then left doing so much work at the shop that they were like, I don't know how I just worked out for an hour when I could barely get out of bed, you know, an hour and a half ago. What would you say is the reason that they could? There's always a way. There is always a way. So you just kind of have to find that little way. Like a lot of times, um, I personally, I feel like if if you had come, and you know, there there is a time. So I don't want to sound like I'm uh, I'm saying you know just suck it up. I'm not saying David Goggins your way through your pain experience. <laughs> um, I'm saying there is almost always a way to reintroduce some movement and it might be gentle. And there is, there might be a day when you actually do just need to let them chill out. Um, There might even be a few days when they need to chill out, but almost always you can, you can get work to a painful area and it will almost always be well-received if you find the right way in. Okay. So if you manage the load, some kind of activity is going to be better than none almost all the time. Yeah. Like back squats that day, you know, that might not be your best bet, but um, there are many other ways to work quadriceps or, you know, uh, you don't have to go to those default exercises. There's a million ways to, to use your quads and knees. Right, right. And they all hurt. Uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but not anymore. That's the good news. I think that, um, you know, what you were alluding to was it was life stress is, uh, you know, is what was, whether it was directly the stress or then the stress somehow knocking my sleep and now I wasn't recovering right and, you know, whatever, whatever, just sort of uh, snowballed into and it went to some place that I was the most afraid of, right? My knees. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway. Yeah. Uh, the the so. more valuable an area is to you, the more valuable a part is to you, the more protective your nervous system is going to be of that part. That all hangs together. I mean, it, it makes sense to me. Okay. Well, those were my questions. If I was smarter, what should I have asked you? But I didn't ask. And, um, and then let's uh, wrap up with, uh, you know, how people can find you guys and your book and talks that you give uh, uh, and tell us again about these videos. Sure. You can read more about me at paragonathletics.com. There's not much more information. You probably learned a lot during this. Uh, We do have a ton of videos on YouTube. Uh, There's over 60 something videos, I think almost 70. And we're going to continue to add those. They're totally free because I'm terrible at business, but I'm really good at helping people. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, nice. There's so many of the other kind yeah. that, you know, that's a, re- that's a refreshing change. So I'm hoping I've actually, uh, there haven't, there haven't been many copies that have gotten out just yet. Uh, it's been backordered, but even with the few copies that have gotten out, um, thankfully we have gotten some feedback that it, it has been a very helpful book. Yeah. Even just a few messages to people I don't know. <laughs> from people I don't know. Oh. So, which is really encouraging because uh, that is exactly what I was hoping for. Excellent. Well, it must feel good. It must feel good to be helping people. Huh? Congratulations. <laughs> and so how can people find you? Uh, you want to like say websites, um, that sort of thing? Yeah. Uh, MattFitzgerald.org is my uh, personal website. Um, you can learn more about Dream Run Camp. Uh, here in Flagstaff, Arizona at dreamruncamp.com and then 8020endurance.com for training plans and other resources. Fantastic. And your business, Ryan, is? Um, Paragon Athletics. Paragon Athletics. Paragonathletics.com. There's, there, I think there are quite a few videos on there even also. So You Fantastic. think? 
it's not my side of it matt 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 knows by this point that that's not my side of the business okay okay well there are there are a bunch of videos on there well fantastic well good uh you know it it's it's always possible to find people who are good at uh, putting the videos on a website it's not easy to find a person who can help you with your pain so you focus on the right thing good for you all right, guys. Well, uh, this was great. Thank you very much. And uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, Thanks, Joe. You guys too. Thank you right. for having us. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining my conversation with Ryan Whited and Matt Fitzgerald, authors of Pain and Performance. 